Hi there, it's RDM here, safe and sound inside my place high atop the second Wachung Mountain in Verona, New Jersey. Mike is safe and sound with his family in their compound in beautiful Hoboken, New Jersey. And our guest on this episode of All Time, Lou Pellegrino, is safe and sound with his wife at their uh, beach place down in uh, down on the Jersey Shore in Long Branch. The reason I tell you this up front right now is because of this episode of Of All Time was recorded at a palatial studio in Midtown Manhattan just before the stay and work from home protocols were put in place by Governor Andrew Cuomo and Governor Phil Murphy of New York and New Jersey, respectively, as we battle COVID-19. You see, our podcast is designed to capture and reflect upon different periods of history while attempting to, as we say in the media, stay evergreen. Now, we're afforded the luxury of sometimes mentioning where in time we are. And this particular episode, and I imagine the next several shows, we will do that. I'm mentioning this now, why it's going to you know, not sound like a home show, and you're going to sound hear us uh, being less than socially distanced, because we serve two different audiences. That first audience are you who are listening with some proximity right now to March 30th, 2020, when we released this episode of All Time? Now, the second audience, these are the folks who discovered this podcast after it became wildly successful and want to go back and see how it all started, what it was like at the beginning. And maybe uh, you future folks are not necessarily bingers. You skip around. You landed on this one because you wanted our take uh, the first time we talk about Rolling Stone magazine. Now, for those of you from the future who are listening, this is what a podcast sounded like right before the world started to end. And if you are listening from the future, you, of course, know that by now we have pivoted the show to be a voice for the resistance, all while helping us remember a more carefree time in America. All right, so back to the here and now, and in all seriousness, hopefully this episode will help you stay sane while under self-isolation. Please continue to stay safe, wash your hands as well as other parts of your body, and take care of each other. If you're out for a walk six feet apart from somebody, you know, wave to them. Uh, pull in a Vita or a Pope or a Queen and just, you know, wave from your apartment window or your front porch or your balcony or whatever it is. Uh, you know, let's take care of each other. And hopefully this podcast will be a, a fun way to do part of that. Okay. Okay. Craig. Um, are we rolling? I'm Michael Marinello. And I'm Robert Mathers. And this is Radio Free Jersey Presents of All Time. On this episode, Rolling Stone Magazine's top 100 best album of the 80s. Come back with me, folks, uh, to a time when actually magazines matter to uh, to people. People actually read physical copies of magazines, and and uh, a lot of, for a certain group of people growing up in the uh, in suburban New Jersey in the late '80s, uh, Rolling Stone magazine was the be all end all of anything you'd want to read about music uh, at the time. Uh, because it it was at its peak. I mean, the magazine yeah. started in 1969. Jan yeah. Werner uh, and Ben Torres. Um <laughs> and by the time we were reading it as kids, because it it was 
it, it, it was the, and it wasn't just rock. It was a real yep. honest to goodness music magazine. And ME had kind of, well, we couldn't get it really here. Right, yep. uh, there were, spin wasn't really a thing until mm-hmm. later, and if ever. Um, and, but this was a big magazine. I right. mean, back with, hey kids, the New York Times used to be bigger. Well, it used to be a paper too, but remember, right. I mean, Rolling Stone was, was yep, not was a, a big, traditional sized, right. Right. it was a big kind of, kind of double fold magazine. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the reviews, uh, you know, were just uh, I would read them uh, first thing almost every time, see what they thought of new albums, you know, who they were trashing, who who they liked. And it was about that time that it started to go more towards. All right. Well, if we you know, if we give the new Robert Plant album a favorable review, then, you know, he'll be on the cover and sell more uh, sell more copies for us. Type you, mean of thing. It, you mean that it was going corporate? A little bit? <laughs> Is that when Jan Werner started wearing silk shirts? <laughs> exactly. So in at the end of the 80s, they decided to go back and um, have their critics look at and rank and list all. Uh, the top 100 albums of the 1980s. Uh, basically, if it was released in uh, January 1st, 1980 through, I, I guess they did this in, you know, I'm assuming they did. They probably put this list together in the summer of uh, 1989 so that it would come out in time for. So uh, anything basically released uh, then. And uh, I think uh, I, I'm, I'm interested to get Lou's uh, take on this as well, because uh, I think there's. A in this list as we as we look at the top twenty, there's a let's throw things in so that we come off as sounding cool, not so or we sound off as sounding uh, like oh, aren't we kind of crazy? We threw in a Richard and Linda Thompson album, <laughs> right? All right, okay. Yeah, so Lou Lou Pellegrino is with us again today, uh, riding the sights and the sounds of the dials behind the glass. <laughs> hey. It's Lou Pellegrino. Hey, everybody. how are you, everybody? That, now that's the fake voice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So oh, we're uh, gonna do that. We're gonna do our radio. <laughs> yeah, I quit smoking two and a half years ago. I, I've lost some of my... I have to drink more. Well, I used to do that as a joke on one of the radio shows that I worked on at Sirius. You remember Ted Williams? He was the... the, ba- home, the ba- no, the homeless guy who had the golden voice. He actually was a oh, DJ. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So I played that character on the air. So I would just start like, hey, everybody, listen, I got a new job and I got enough money now to buy as much blow as I want. <laughs> you know, and I would just do like funny stuff like that. <laughs> so that voice comes and goes every once in a while. So when I feel like doing it, I'll just it's, bring it out. I found that uh, when we're on these RE... These RE twenties, uh, mm. these big radio mics. Yeah, <clears throat> my uh, the beave voice comes back. Oh, the beave! <laughs> All right, so we're talking about the Rolling Stones uh, top uh, Rolling Stone best Rolling Stone magazine's top one hundred best albums of the eighties. Yes. And as usual, we're gonna just uh, slice and debate the top twenty. Right. So, so. Uh, holding over from episode. Uh, oh, if Chrissy Hines on there, I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> Number no. twenty, The Pretenders. Is it really? <laughs> Yeah, number 20. Rolling Stone uh, considered the, the 20 best album of the 1980s to be The Pretenders Pretenders, and it was released on 11th of January 1980. Uh, right. I, it, this is where a lot of the hits came from. Yep, exactly. Uh, we, if, you, if you really want to hear us, go back and, and, right. and yeah. beat The Pretenders. Just go to episode three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Ugh, Chrissy Hind. Uh, number 19. This was a, this was a huge album for the time. This is, uh, Lou Reed's New York album, uh, released in January of 1989. Uh, my thinking here with, uh, Rolling Stone, this is very much on brand for Rolling Stone. Oh, it's Lou Reed. Oh, it's the Velvet Underground. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is, you know, the most influential, important, uh, band of all time ever for any, you know, for, you know, it was the template for punk rock in the late seventies and all this stuff. So Lou Reed, especially for a lot of Rolling Stone writers, was like God. 
Right. And it's it, as we move along here, let's keep in mind that this is put together at the end of – so uh, it was a published in, on the 16th uh, – the issue that came out the 16th of November 1989. Um, and the 80s is where Rolling Stone was trying to expand mm-hmm. its coverage to encompass all – popular music yep and they were we'll we'll get there yeah (laughs) but the first clue for that is song or album number 18 yes prince dirty mind now that is his is that his first or second Second. album i think it's the second one um and i'm trying to think what's on that album uh i want to be your lover maybe uh hang on i think it's not it doesn't have like 1999 and it's not uh any of all the like the Purple Rain. Uh, no, well, that's... Releases. Pr- <laughs> so, yeah. Um, All right. But, um, again, I think this is one of those things, uh, as you just said, it is one of those things where Rolling Stone is looking back and saying, you know what, we kind of missed the boat on Prince uh, early on, and let's kind of correct some wrongs here and, and throw Prince a couple times in this list. Because I, I, I think in, you know, from like up until Purple Rain, they weren't, they didn't care about A little Prince. foreshadowing uh, kids, Prince appears three times on <laughs> right. this, on the, on just this top 20 list. All right. So there then we move from Prince to? The Police, Synchronicity. We, uh, again, if we go back and listen to episode three, you'll hear us discuss. Uh, uh, Zenyatta Mandata. Uh, yeah. And, uh, I think she's doing a great job in uh, Euphoria <laughs> on HBO. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, Synchronicity, you know, the biggest police album has uh, Every Breath You Take, Synchronicity 1, 2, <laughs> King of Pain. And all I can think about now is all the Weird Al versions of songs that uh, were on this album. <laughs> he did a polka with Every Breath You Take yep. with the guy breathing poorly, yep. the King of, King of Spain. Is that? Is uh, that? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's King of Pain. Yeah. No, that's the that's the police song, but oh. Weird Al. What's the Weird Al version of that oh, song? Oh God, the Weird Al version of that one. I don't remember. <laughs> but, that, but that was on an album that came out right after that. I yeah. think in 3D came out like 83, 84. Yeah, that exactly. was uh, yep. you know Ryer the Kaiser. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it was King of Suede, I believe. King of Suede. Oh, yes. <laughs> Suede. <laughs> Thank was. you. Yeah. Exactly. A, a gabardine suit today. <laughs> Uh, Weird Al's the best. Um, we'll, um, we'll, I'm sure we'll do a Weird Al thing exactly. at some point. But yes. yeah, I mean, this was Every Breath You Take, uh-huh. song about stalking. Yeah, yeah. Even, even um, what was that? Wrapped Around Your Finger that was oh, a big hit. And, yeah. You know. And that, that's that's off of, yeah, that's off Synchronicity. Yeah, that's Synchronicity. Uh, that every, yeah. Uh, all right. Number 16, Prince, 1999. Uh, discussed that above with uh, Dirty Mind. Uh, so that was, I, yeah. That, that was maybe there was an album between Dirty Mind and 1999, but- that was kind of when Prince was starting to, uh, I think, Little Red Corvettes on that album yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, that uh, that Prince era. 15, see, this is where I think, and I love this album, uh, and I love this group, but I think uh, Rolling Stone is trying to get a little too cute for themselves here. Uh, the Replacements, Let It Be, um, uh, a phenomenal album, a great, uh, a great work. Uh, the song uh, "I Will Dare," the first mm-hmm. song on the album, is great. Uh, released in 1984, but uh, I, you know, I mean, I, critically, probably yes, but commercially, no. probably no. no. So I agree. I agree. <laughs> you know, which gets us to our next one, uh, Peter Gabriel's "So," with uh, which was probably one of the biggest uh, albums. Of the, of, the, of the decade, and uh, it's Peter Gabriel's biggest, most commercial success. Exactly. Ever. Right. 
Big Time and Sledgehammer were inescapable to anybody with MTV. Don't Give Up with uh, <laughs> yeah. Kate Bush. Yep. Um, a staple of high school you, <laughs> Uh, uh, sleep-ins at youth group. And, uh, exactly. And um, or, or uh, mixed, what was the song from Say Anything? Um, in Your, your Eyes. In your your eyes. eyes. About See, Roseanne Arquette. <laughs> you keep bringing up these songs and immediately I go to like ex-girlfriends I had. Uh, oh, yeah, I had an course. ex-girlfriend who loved that song, Don't yeah. Give Up, and I used to yeah. want to throw the CD, yes, children, a CD, out the window <laughs> exactly. of the apartment or right. the car, wherever right. that song was being played. Uh, you know how many right. times I put that on a mixtape to make some girl feel better? Uh-huh. Oh it was, it's a God. go-to song. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'd rather hear so, Turning Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather turn Japanese. <laughs> um, Vinegar Strokes. <laughs> so think about, um, I'm going to take a, a slight tangent about this. Think about this at this time. You have, in 1986, you have Genesis coming off of Invisible Touch. Mm-hmm. What's that, 85, 86? Yep, yep. You have Phil Collins separately, also with all those hits and, you know. Uh, no Jacket Required was 83. Yep. And then you have Peter Gabriel. All coming from the most densest prog rock, whitest British uh, band in the world in the 70s. Now, you could you fast forward. If you were to ask somebody in like 1975, like, you realize the members of this band, including that drummer no one's ever heard of, <laughs> are going to be the biggest pop stars in the world in 10 years. They right. would have you. They would have yeah, laughed you out, out of the, the world. Pub, yeah. like, I, like, I think about, whenever I get depressed, I think about Phil Collins and what a weird and wonderful and wacky life that meant. He, he went from... A drummer in a prog rock band. Like, what's the difference between him and Bill Bruford? Phil, he wasn't the original drummer, right? No, he, he wasn't. Was, he was the second drummer. <laughs> right. And then Peter Gabriel gets too arty. Right. And, and uh, Mike and the mechanic and the yeah, whatever. Yeah, the, yeah, Mike yeah. Rutherford, yeah. And the, the other guy are like, all right, Gabriel, you've got to go. Right. We, we would like to make some money. <laughs> right. And we'd like to try and sell records in America. Right. And the funny thing is you're talking about this album and you look at the, this, that, the songs and the tracks. I think Big Time's the best song on the album. Yeah. That's my my own personal opinion. I think Big Time is better than Red Rain. I think oh, it's better than Sledgehammer. I think it's better than Don't Give Up. Right. And I think it's better than In Your Eyes, even though I did make out with uh, a nice young lady named Heather when I was a sophomore <laughs> in high school to that song at a dance. All right. Love it. Although right. I have seen right. her on Facebook and it's not pretty. <laughs> uh, you chose wisely. <laughs> that was right. mean. I'm sorry. Yeah. a bullet. No, yes. that's fine. I'll probably. Uh, for, for your own protection. Right. Yes, so that, in case you so that's Peter us. Gabriel. Thank so you. sorry about the digression of, uh, of no, that. Um, but it just amazes me. I think you're absolutely right. Um, so we go there to yeah. like a band that has had lots of albums. One popped. Uh-huh. One song from one thing uh, popped. Yep. And they've just spent the entire their entire career just pissing and moaning right. at... at Right. Injustice in the world, which is fine, right? But I don't think they had the chops to keep it up, right? We are talking about Midnight Oil, Diesel and Dust. I don't understand how that is the thirteenth best right. record of the nineteen eighties, right? Well, I, I, again, it, it is you know some you know uh, it was a probably yeah it was huge uh, in eighty seven into eighty eight. I think I want to say. Um, uh, Blue Sky Mining comes out in 1990, so just after that. Um, so even and that. All right, know. so that and that, and and that was their second that yeah, album. That was like, but Blue, but the title track, right? Was yep, what yep, was the second? Yep. I mean, it was. Uh, uh, um, yeah. The, so the there was two so- two big songs on this one. Um, oh right. Uh, yeah. Beds are burning yeah. and the Dead Heart. Right. 
Um, yeah, all right. Uh, you couldn't escape. Beds are burning. Dead Heart probably had a little bit shorter of a shelf life. But yeah, it, it is interesting that this ends up on 13. Like if you, if you were to go back and ask people now, it would probably not even be within the top I'll bet 100. You, I'll bet you if we went out in the middle of Times Square and asked anybody <laughs> who Midnight Oil was, right. one one guy older than us would know who Midnight right. Oil was. Though it I do is. like that album and the next album, but that's just me. All right. Um, uh, number 12, I just listened to a great podcast on this one. Uh, Public Enemies, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. Uh, Studio 360 just did a, uh, mm-hmm. a review of this uh, uh, album. I think it's a great album. Um, came out in June 1988, uh, depending on your, you know, your review of uh, or what your feeling is towards rap. But now this is what we were talking about earlier in the fact that Rolling Stone is going, you know, going away from the classic rock uh, to try to in- incorporate all all forms of music. And I think if you look at what Rolling Stone was, this underground magazine when it started in San Francisco 20 years earlier, right, when this comes out. Um, so, and it's going to, you know, they, they embraced John Lennon post-Beatles, post-pop. Right. They yep. embraced the Grateful Dead. They mm-hmm. embraced underground-ish. Right. Counterculture. Sort of counterculture, thank yeah. you. That's yep. what I was looking for. So you have a band like Public Enemy. Yes. Um very much counterculture at the at the time. You, you mentioned what you think about rap. I'm not a huge overall rap fan. Right. However, this and I don't even call it old school, but this era of of, yep. of rap music that I'm not that familiar with because yep. it, it's not 100 percent my cup of meat. Yeah, but it um, I have a profound respect for it mm-hmm. um, because of the social messages and the yep. counterculture references. And it starts for me, well, this this record in particular, I remember when you could not escape yep. tracks from this record, but it goes back to, and if you look at this list, and you'll find the link to, the, to the, this list on Rolling Stone in our show notes, um, the, the 100, the top of the overall list, and is uh, Stephen Van Zandt's uh, partisan artist? Yes. Artist against part- apartheid, Sun yep. City, which is has just been. I have it. I have. That's <laughs> my original copy. Yeah. It's just been re-released to celebrate the anniversary uh, okay. of Nelson Mandela's release from prison, um, and they're releasing it. On, they re-released it on vinyl. Um, but it was listening to kind of made me understand more want to learn more about Gil Scott Heron and, and right. other right. Uh, right. Uh, of these rap pioneers. So I. I I think it's great that they threw that in. Right. Um, now, it's it's interesting, though. Um, you know, it can't come close to what um, the uh, Run DMC album with the Walk This Way. I can't even... Uh, From Raising commercial, Hell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, number 11, Elvis Costello and the Attractions, Get Happy, one of my favorite mm-hmm. albums of all time. It's uh, basically their, their take on the Stax Vault uh, back catalog. Uh, it's a very... Uh, northern soul white British people trying take on <laughs> you know Motown Stax Vault type the commitments style. before the commitments yes exactly uh, number 10 uh, Tracy Chapman uh, the Tracy Chapman album so that is Fast, Fast Car. Car Yep, and that's about it which was produced by my friend Brian Koppelman and creator of the TV show Billions oh yes oh there you he, go I heard him talk about that we'll he, have to like, get Brian in studio <laughs> he did he discover her did he uh, I don't know if he discovered her, but I do know that he produced. He's he has a music background. He has. Right. A, I mean, Brian's one of the most like 
eclectic people that I know, and he's just brilliant. And I remember him telling me the story of, he goes, yeah, I produced that album. And I said, <laughs> what? <laughs> now, she's from Massachusetts, right? I believe. Tracy Cambridge? is from Cleveland, Ohio. Well, at least Ooh. she was born in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. I, I, she, like, I feel like she spent some time at Harvard or something yeah, like that. Yeah, something like that. Or All Berkeley. Right. All right. So number nine, and I can remember this, reading it and having no idea what the heck it was when it was on this list is Richard and Linda Thompson shoot out the lights. Now, I still to this day have not gone back and listened to this album. I now know that Richard Thompson was in the Fairport Convention and, you know, was prolific. And this is basically them, their divorce record. Right. So from what I can get from reading. reading. uh, Here's where I want to get loose feedback. Do you think this is... Um, Rolling Stone trying to be a little too cute here, trying to just be like, oh, well, look at us. We're we're going to throw in uh, Richard Richard and Lyndon Thompson's Shoot Out the Lights as the number nine album of the 80s. Yeah, you know, this kind of reminds me of, I remember watching the Grammys one year and everyone was like, Bonnie Raitt's Nick of Time winning everything. And it was like, wait, <laughs> right, and it's, right. a, oh no, and I love, on, no, 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 I'm not, no, 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 I'm not saying that I don't appreciate Bonnie Raitt and I thought that album was right. fantastic. Right. Younger me, who didn't know who Bonnie Raitt really was at that time. Right. It's almost like... Right, kind of like the Lifetime Achievement Award. Right, or we could even talk about what happened at the Academy Awards where Parasite won everything, and it's like, oh my God, this is a shock. How did the Joker not win this? president? Yeah, oh God, please. (laughs) But you know what I mean? So yes, I I agree. I think this is uh, them trying to be a little cute. Japanese guys won all that money. (laughs) I think it's... Turning Japanese. <laughs> right. <laughs> it all comes back to the vapors. Ooh, right. All right. Exactly. So, but I just think, yes, I think Rolling Stone might be trying to be a little too cute by shoehorning something in at number nine. I mean, this this right. also could have been a Jan Warner going, I'd like, uh, I'd right. like my buddy Richard. <laughs> exactly. To, uh, put right. him in the top ten. Right. And exactly. I, and I will pay you this It just week. seems like, I mean, we'll get to it, but just as you go to the rest of the top ten, especially even like Tan Tracy Chapman, that album was – inexplicably big and popular and in the popular culture. There were no hits off of Shoot Out the Lights. No big sustainable hits, unlike the number eight record. Right. R.E.M. Murmur. Uh, Is that their first album? That is their first album. Yes. Uh, Radio Free Europe Mm -hmm. and uh, a great album, a great uh, album I like to listen to just uh, back to front. Uh, kind of before, you know, when all you had was Michael Stipe singing and not telling you how to live your life. <laughs> uh, it was it was all good. Uh, and then we go into an uh, album that is right. part of our shared history, uh-huh. oddly enough. <laughs> uh, the Michael Jackson Thriller album. The last, the in my opinion, the only good Michael Jackson record. Really? See, I you like off the wall. I like off the wall. Um, uh, but Thriller, I, you you can't. Uh, yeah, you you really can't. It was a behemoth. I mean, yeah, sure. Exactly. Well, the the, the art art. So this came out in the thirtieth of November, nineteen eighty two. Right. Probably by January of eighty three is when the multi million dollar video directed by Michael Landis for right. the song Thriller right. came out. John Landis. Right. I say Michael Landis. Michael Landis. Sorry, Michael Land- Landon was going Highway to Heaven. <laughs> right, exactly. John Landis was going Thriller. <laughs> Thank exactly. You. Thank welcome. you, Lou, for um, that. Correct. But so, yeah. So, do, so, you remember, do you remember? Oh, yeah. Mike and I, it's you, Billy, probably uh-huh. four or five kids over my house. To watch that video. To watch the video. And then you all choreographed the dance in the basement <laughs> and you all reenacted it. It was like a half hour long. Right. Like, and you got to rent it. And my, I think my mother had to go on a waiting list to rent the thriller video <laughs> oh, right, boy. from Palmer Video. Yeah. And 
It was it was about thirty minutes long, and it was the the video as was seen on MTV. Yep, and the making of it, and then the making yep. of it. Yeah. Exactly, with, I had that with, with Vincent. Pr- and the, and the video was longer than the song, and mm-hmm. it, it, it it they moved the track around to fit the thing. Right. Mm-hmm. What do you consider the best track on Thriller to be? <sighs> Jeez, uh, I'm, let, let me just let me like. There's probably not a single song that isn't ingrained in my head. So, uh, Billie Jean. Thriller, Beat It, um, PYT. Um, PYT, I think that's where, and I don't know why it didn't come up during the trial, but I think that's, if you go back to that song, you're like, right. mm, that's where it started. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, was the, that was the nucleus right. for right. all of the right. troubles. I, I, the you know what? Just as a I can't believe sound this is not on I, the tip I, of your tongue. I'm going to go with Billie Jean, but so uh, go All ahead. Right. I mean, sure, you could beat it. It had Eddie Van Halen as right. the yep, 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 guitar. Yep. The uh, Far and away, the best track on that record. I can't even say it. Far and away, the best track on that record that made the record, that made me want to get the record initially, is The Girl Is Mine. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> that is a duet between you Michael got, Jackson. You have to say it right. Right. Because the line of the song the is. The doggone girl. Thank you. <laughs> Michael Jackson and yeah. Paul McCartney, and we're and and Paul McCartney, like so. The insert to this record, uh-huh. it was a single record. I mean, it was one piece of vinyl, right? But they had the, the gatefold, right? And there's a and the lyrics was a head of lyrics, and uh-huh. and Michael Jackson is that the one with him like laying down with a no, tiger? Paul McCartney did the drawing. It was like a drawing of like two. Like they were playing tug of war with a girl, uh, right? But it I was think, a cartoon. I can't remember whether Paul or Michael drew it. Uh, it sounds the album like, is yeah. him laying down with the, the, right. the yeah, cover, yeah, 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 yeah. right? But it, it, uh, and I just remember, oh, this is because I was very aware by then right. who Paul McCartney is, right? Unbelievable. And, and just to have a little bit of a sidebar, uh-huh. James Ingram and Quincy Jones wrote PYT, not Michael. <laughs> so get those thoughts out of your head, right? How dare you? <laughs> yes, but to hear Michael Jackson sing it, how right dare now. I mean, you? Listen, it, it, and, and I'll be honest, you're right though, Lou. It, had Quincy Jones not basically produced this record, it, it would not have done exactly. as well. So, all right, yeah. all right. We so, to a, one uh, big '80s hit monster to an ex, Bruce Springsteen, born in the USA. Now, uh, if anyone's listened to us before, knows that I'm. I like Bruce, and you know this may get you killed uh, where you live now in uh, Jersey, Lou. But uh, I'm not the biggest Bruce. I, I like him. Right I appreciate him. Uh, you know, I like to go see his concerts. But I'm like, all right, I get it. But it's I'm not. I'm. I don't drink the the Bruce Cooley. Well, like I said, and this album especially, I think it's horribly produced. Yeah. Uh, it's overproduced. Sound, yeah. yeah, overproduced. It's. Uh, but it was, you know. It was, you know, basically Bruce, you could not get away from Bruce Springsteen in the summer of 84 and all those hits and all those songs. So, um, And we touched a little bit on on this. If you go back to, I think it was episode two uh, of this podcast where I mentioned, I, I, to reset it a little bit, I consider Born in the USA to be the uh, touch of gray for diehard Bruce Springsteen <laughs> right. fans. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or the in the dark, actually. You right, know, yeah, yeah, was, yeah, Well, yeah. no, the well, touch no, no. of gray, because everybody, well, that was the song, really. Right. Look, there are some good tracks. Darlington County is probably one of my favorite tracks off of this, yep. uh, um, uh, uh, off of this record. I don't like Fire. Right. Although, no. and I don't understand why anyone hasn't turned that into a country hit. Right. You know, and that's a, a little sidebar. Half of Bruce, Bruce Springsteen's really just a country artist from New Jersey. Right. Yeah, exactly. 
when country was good. <laughs> Again, now we're going to Jesus. This is just a. a, a now know. these are the behemoth hits. Yeah, exactly. here. We're into the top Paul's, five. Number five, Paul Simon, Graceland. Now I have, I've always liked this album. I've heard uh, uh, it's funny, and you know, if you would ask me in 1989, I would even think that would maybe even be too low because everybody loved Paul Simon back then. Rolling Stone loved Paul Simon back then. This album got you know, massive critical approval and commercial success. Uh, it doesn't seem to have aged as well. A lot of people I now talk to don't like it as much as, uh, you know, or think it, you know, you know, it doesn't hold up over time. I don't know. Uh, Boys, what do you think? I Overly produced, too. I think yeah. it was heavily produced. In fact, the song Graceland, I like the song, but my, if I'm going to choose, mm-hmm. I prefer Willie Nelson's cover of it a yeah. little better. Okay. Because uh, it's a little, it's a little sadder. Yeah. Um, yeah. but you can call me out uh, a little too much. It's <laughs> the horns, but it was really a synthesizer. Uh, right, yeah. yeah. I don't. And then it, you know, I just remember that was what, when Al Gore got the nomination as the vice president <laughs> at the democratic <laughs> national convention uh-huh. in 1992 uh-huh. at Madison square garden here in yeah. New York. That's what he walked out to was of you course. can call me out. And then it was like, that was like, you could tell who was running the convention then like their musical taste because at, Al, and I don't think Al Gore had ever heard the song before, right? Of course not. And then I, fa- I mean, it, but it had been playing at all of his stump speeches. He walks out to that, and then you got uh, uh, Bill and Hillary coming out. Don't stop. Don't stop. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it, you know, yeah. nineteen. I was like, I'm in. Yes, right. exactly. All right. All right. Uh, let's see. Four Talking Heads remain in light. Um, this is uh, same album that had uh, Once in a Lifetime, mm-hmm. and kind of like their, you know. For for the time, kind of like their probably their biggest album. It's funny. Well, Talking it's, Heads were interesting in that you know they probably didn't sell the most records, but they. But it's funny. So if you read the piece, as you read the piece in the article, it yeah. says uh, Chris. Oh, uh, Chris Franz says that this was the worst selling Talking Heads record of all of their records, and yeah. this is where, but the, it had the singles with the big hits right. on it. Exactly. Um, Number three, U2, The Joshua Tree. Uh, Lou, and, Lou and the Booth just picked up. All right. Go ahead, Lou. It's the best album ever. <laughs> oh. No, it's because I'm a huge U2 fan. I'm a, I'm a, that's my favorite band. And that, to me, is their masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Octung Baby's close. Yep. Um, War is very close. But Joshua Tree, for me, every had, song. Had all yeah. the hits. I mean, I don't think there was a thing that wasn't. That no. first side is pretty tough to beat. It, it is. And what, the Streets funny, Have No Name. Yeah, uh, with or without you, still haven't found what I'm looking, looking for. for. Um, silver and gold, not so. I'm sorry. Uh, running the standstill. Uh, running standstill. Uh, trip through your wires right. is a great song. That might right. be my favorite you song see, off the album. Right. I like. Yeah, I like the second half a lot better. Uh, in God's country. I can't believe you just said that because when I was younger, I had it on vinyl and uh-huh. I had it on cassette. Cassette. And then yeah. obviously on CD. Yeah. I would start with side B. Yeah. And then because it was only, right. it was almost like a concert. Yep. Because if you think about it, what are you going to close and open? You know, what are you going to close with? You're going to close with all your big hits, and all the big hits are on the first side. Right. But there are some really yeah. good songs, like Exits on side yep, two, exactly. One Tree Hill, One Tree in Hill. God's Country. So yeah. I would start with Red Hill Mining Town, go all the way through mm-hmm. to Mothers of the Disappeared, right. and then start side one. Did so, I hear? And maybe you can confirm this, Luke. Did mm-hmm. I hear that they are they played um, Red Hill Mining Town at one of their tours? Actually, recently? they did because it, it was well, the anniversary. Done, they, they, right. they did. The, 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 didn't was, they just do a tour a couple years yeah, ago? Yeah, it was a 30th. Tw- okay. Yeah, 2017 because was the 30th anniversary of My Joshua memory Tree. of going to see the show when they toured behind it, they didn't play 
they didn't play a couple songs from that mm-hmm. second side. Right. Of, uh, so I don't know if they played it on you know the initial tour. They're just playing they it now. They did everything on Joshua Tree from 1 to 12. And the problem is they ended up bringing, I want to say, a string section in for because he can't hit the notes from Red Hill Mining Town now, <laughs> you know, so they have to like tune it down a little right. bit. Okay. And so it was it wasn't I didn't like it. So okay. I, uh, I I would say somewhere in the last 15 years, as, uh-huh. as I remember seeing ads for a TV show on the CW. Uh huh. Called One Tree Hill, and I thought, <laughs> "Holy crap! This is going to be. This is like a YouTube. Ah, oh, that's a half of my life. I will never. <laughs> when does Bono show up? Right, exactly. This, these, what are these Larry kids talking? <laughs> <are> these... <laughs> All right, uh, um, winding so, up here. We've got two more. Yes, and, Prince uh, and the Revolution, Purple Rain. Like, uh, now, was this released before the movie came out? No, it was, the, it was with the film. It right. was yeah, the a conjunction. soundtrack. To yeah, the, you yeah. couldn't escape that, uh, you know, and every big, you know, Purple what Rain. What an uplifting film Purple Rain is. <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, yeah. Exactly. And that's one of those that, you know, people, I'm sure we'll get to a list of great music movies of all time. I've seen this movie once. I never need to see it again. Right. Mars Day is the whole movie. Oh, yeah. The yeah, whole movie. This is true. It's, it's but I can see Morris Day and Kevin Smith stuff. So right. That's, you know. <laughs> um, and then number one, The Clash, London Calling. And I think probably just in Verona alone in 1989, that it probably this copy of Rolling Stone putting London Calling Clash in the top of it sold an, an additional probably like 500 copies oh, absolutely. <laughs> of uh, London Calling. We were big we were big Clash Town. <laughs> yeah. All, all five of us. <laughs> no, and it's a great record. I I was just listening to it again no, recently. It, it, it's it's a phenomenal um, record. It it it, it tracks super well and, and and it holds up as well. All right. So our final question here is we sum up right. uh this episode of all time. Do we think that this uh, at least the the 20 that we just rattled off, do we think that this is BS or do the editors of Rolling Stone have a thing for Prince. <laughs> I think it's a little of both. I think it's probably. See now, the difference here is we're not. It's not the first three episodes we did were all w- what purported to be. This is from our listeners. The v- listeners are voting. Where and in a lot of cases we said they're really not voting. They're just it's just the marketing guys or the you know uh, program directors shaping it. This is Rolling Stone's editorial board saying this is what we think. I think it's a little of both. Some of it is they're legitimate, like, all right, we think this is definitely the top 100 or top 20 or top five. And there's a handful of in there like, oh, all right, let's just try to be cool or let's try to like do a favor for our buddies and, and put them higher on the list, lower on the list type, type of thing. I, I uh, 100% concur with you. I, I think that, right, I think if this was uh, a bunch of – Heady music journalists, uh, and then three or four guys going, "Well, you guys should look at the charts." And then, right. and then, right. exactly. you know, then Jan Warner sticks his head in, right. as I said earlier. Right. Uh, I'd like Richard and Linda to share the lights to be in there. I'm exactly. Gonna, I'm going to own this magazine forever. Right. That, that was good fun. I, I loved. Uh, I love these episodes. Yeah, so. this is great. And that wraps up another episode of Radio Free Jersey Presents of All Time with Michael Marnello and Robert Mathers. Thank you very much for listening and help us spread the word by giving us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Radio Free Jersey. We uh, do have a Facebook page at Radio Free Jersey and we're on Instagram at RFJ of All Time. 
This podcast is a production of Radio Free Jersey. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this podcast.